Hello and welcome to my podcast. Okay, here is the story. I'm the host, Dee Burns. A story by definition is an account of imaginary or real people and events told for entertainment purposes. I believe life is a story and I've always felt that and I feel honored to tell you these stories and if given the chance, I would love to tell your story. So in this episode, I am going to update you about the revised podcast. Um, I'm going to have a little fun by answering some personal questions submitted to me by past listeners. But before I do all that, I need to get some business out of the way. I'm always looking for sponsors and or advertisers. If you're interested, please email me at okayhereisthestory at gmail.com. Please don't forget to include all of your contact information. You'll now be able to find this podcast on whatever platform you use for podcasts. You'll also be able to find the newest episode uploaded to my website, okayhereisthestory.com. All of my social media links can be found in this show's description or my website. For future episodes, I will be discussing bullying. If you have ever been bullied or you know someone who was, and you would like to share your story, please send us an email to okayhereisthestory at gmail.com. Unless otherwise noted, I will share your story and your first name only. If you're interested in being interviewed for the podcast, let me know and just include all of your contact information in the email. Finally, if you'd like to make a donation to this podcast, you can find me on my GoFundMe page, Okay, Here is the Story. All donations will be used to purchase hardware and software for this podcast, and no one involved with the show will be paid. GoFundMe is a secure page for donations. The link to my page is provided in this show's description. Some of you have asked me if I have other apps that receive donations. I do not. I have only gone through GoFundMe. Also, I would like to thank my family and friends who have already donated to the podcast. Thanks to my Uncle Larry. Thanks to my best friend since I was four years old, Stacy, and my other friend who stood beside me through my entire career, Heidi. Thank you guys for believing in me. Okay, I would like to welcome you back to my podcast. Uh, I want to say thank you to everyone who emailed me, texted me, or even called me to see when the podcast was going to be coming back. I really appreciate that. Uh, just a little side note here. Thanks um, to all the wonderful, wonderful young men serving in the Marines with my son, Wyatt. I got your messages from him and you guys had a large part in me revamping the podcast and starting again. Because um, I know you guys were asking him, when's your mom going to start up her podcast again? And I believe he even had some um, upper officers ask him, uh, you know, when's your mom going to start her podcast? So thank you guys. Here it is. It's all new. <laughs> so the podcast as a whole has a different format now. My previous podcast, my son Hunter was on it with me and we did that for about a year, but it was really hard just because Hunter is young and he has a life and he's got, you know, he works third shift or second shift. I don't know. He works nights. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was just really hard. It was hard for our schedules to sync up, um, to record and everything. So he may appear from time to time on the show. 
Um, but really, this is just going to be me. And it's going to be me telling stories from my life, telling stories from other people's lives, uh, interviewing people about their life. Um, so that's going to be the format that's um, going to be different. And like I said, I, I wanted to revamp the podcast to include me interviewing people. Like I said, about their stories or stories of others that they've met through their lives. So an example is, um, like I said before, in a future podcast, I want to discuss bullying. I would like to interview someone who was bullied. I want to include someone who maybe is an expert in bullying. Um, you know, just talk to them about it. I, I just think, again, it's it's one of those subjects that comes up when somebody kills themselves or goes on a shooting rampage and it comes back to bullying. I feel like other than that, we don't really talk about it. Um, so again, you know, the, that's why the podcast was revamped to tell people's stories. And that's just an example of one. I also had some really fun elements to my last podcast, and I wanted to kind of expand on that and be more consistent about it. So I developed a new segment called Lightning Round. Now, when I have guests on my show, uh, depending on where they're from, is what kind of lightning round questions they get. So if they're from Wisconsin, they get what we call the Wisconsin lightning round questions. If they're not from Wisconsin, then they just get generalized lightning round questions. Um, the ones from Wisconsin are very Wisconsin subject specific. So that's why we did it that way. I really want you guys to know that I've really struggled with what I wanted this first episode to be about. Um, I rewrote the script like 50 million times. Um, I just, <laughs> no, that's not what I want it to be about. So I decided to open up the three page document that I have that is a list of questions that have been previously submitted to me by past listeners. And I decided to pick one and just write my first podcast about that. So I may do that from time to time. Uh, so if you have questions for me, you can go ahead and send them to me at okayhereisastory at gmail.com. Again, you know, I'll answer questions about anything. But that being said, please understand, if you don't want to hear the answer to a question, but you ask me the question anyway, don't be upset with the answer. That's what I always tell my friends and, and my sons. So yeah, send me a question and, um, you know, I'll look into it and it could be on a, for, on a um, future podcast. So at the time of recording this episode, I am 50 years old. And one of the questions that was on my list and the one that I'm going to answer today, and let me just say before I should have said this, first of all, please understand, I do like my life. I think I'm like the average person. I think there are parts of my life that I don't like. Well, obviously, and I can't change, but then there's parts of my life that I don't like that I can change. <laughs> and, but in general, I'm pretty happy with my life. So that being said, the question um, that was asked me by a past listener was, how different is your life right now from what you thought it would be? And I will say that's a very thought provoking question. And, and it took a lot of, um, soul searching and 
just really looking deep inside myself and saying, okay, be honest with yourself. Try to remember back when you were younger, what you wanted your life to be like, and what is it now? So like I said before, at the time of this recording, I'm 50 years old, but when I was in my twenties, you know, of course, every now and then, you know, when you're, when you're young in your twenties, you think you're immortal. <laughs> you really do. So you really don't think into the future, but there were times when I would think, okay, when I'm 50, this is what it's gonna, life's going to be like for me. Um, I figured I would be a healthy married woman. I would have a house somewhere in Iowa. I would have had two boys and they would have been grown and gone um, by the time I was 50. And maybe, maybe I would have the beginning of being a grandma. I also thought my career would be amazing because all the years of hard work and dedication and loyalty that I had to my field, uh, I figured it would be paying off by the time I was 50 and I would have, you know, vacation time and sick time and, you know, whatever. And I just figured I would really be enjoying this phase of my life because I would be traveling, I would be fishing, um, I'd be surrounded by my family and friends and, you know, life would just be great. So that's a quick summary of where I thought my life would be at this age. So I'm going to break it down. I'm going to break that summary down because there's several points in there I want to talk about. So first of all, I thought uh, that I would be a healthy married 50-year-old woman until a couple of years ago. And again, please don't take this statement as I'm feeling sorry for myself or, you know, boo-hoo-hoo. Just understand that a couple of years ago, I never really thought of myself as remaining single. I always saw myself as being married or at least having someone in my life on a daily basis, a boyfriend, um, you know, whatever. I always thought I would have someone to wake up with in the mornings and go to bed with at night. Um, I thought that, you know, I really thought that this period in my life would be full of breakfasts in bed. Um, the two of us go into new places, you know, and just waiting for that person to come home at night so you could share your events of the day with them. I really thought that we'd be growing old together and um, we'd probably be complaining to each other about how it sucks to get old and the different aches and pains we have and, you know, just stuff that you share with your significant other. Um, you know, I pictured us having friends over for girls, girl outs and going to the Iowa State Fair and, you know, just telling each other that we were still in love with each other. And I figured our Saturday night dates would consist of going, you know, to the sprint car races at Knoxville, because that's just what I did when I was growing up. Instead, I am a single woman who really has no one or any prospects of anyone in my life romantically. And honestly, in, in, in doing all this soul searching as I was writing this podcast, I can honestly say I can never remember a relationship that I've had in my life with a man where he was truly in love with me. I mean, did they tell me they love me? Yeah, but I don't think that they were. I, I think they were in love with the idea of me, but to be in love with me as a wife, um, I, I just don't feel like I've ever had anybody like that in my life. And I will say that at this point in my life, my Saturday night dates consist of me sitting and putting all my meds in my pill organizer <laughs> for the week. 
So, and that's kind of a joke um, between my sons and my best friend. Um, that, you know, just when you're young, you know, nine o'clock at night, that was when you were getting ready to go out to the bar. I mean, like literally I can remember in my twenties, my girlfriend, Jerry and I, we would go out to the bars and, you know, we wouldn't get there until like nine thirty, nine nine thirty. 30. It, you know, now, now at this age, Oh my gosh, nine nine thirty. I've already been to bed for like two, two and a half hours. <laughs> so, you know, it's just little things like that that you know, you just look back and you're like, Wow, you know, I just I didn't see me being here at this age. So the next thing I wanted to talk about was um that I always thought I would be a healthy fifty year old woman. I will say this was probably the biggest shocker of my life. Uh, when I say healthy, okay, let me define that. Please understand, I didn't think I would be a runner or I would be riding my bike across the state of Iowa. I figured I would be an average healthy 50-year-old woman. And I never in a million years thought I would have a debilitating disease that would take me down just as this part of my life was starting. Um, for those of you who don't know, I was officially diagnosed in 2010 with multiple sclerosis. I believe that my symptoms first showed up in 1999 while I was pregnant with my youngest son. And I always say this, my symptoms didn't show up because I was pregnant with my youngest son. They showed up when I was pregnant with my youngest son. Um, if you know anything about MS, a lot of times that's when the first symptoms appear is during pregnancy. It is a disease and I'll go into this more um, when I do my show on my multiple sclerosis and my journey through the healthcare system. But a lot of women, it, it, a lot of women get this disease. I mean, men do too, but it's just mainly women. And the first symptoms of it almost always show up during pregnancy. They don't know why. And I believe that's how it was for me. But I didn't get my official diagnosis for 11 more years. So it wasn't until 2010 that, that I got my January 13th, 2010 was the date of my official diagnosis. And like I said, I'll, I'll go more into my multiple sclerosis and, and my journey with the healthcare system on a future podcast. But, but at 50 years old, you know, I can't walk without either a cane or a mobile walker. I have chronic pain in my arms, legs, uh, my back. I mean, to the point that some days I literally cannot get out of bed. There have been days when I have had to roll out of my bed onto the floor and crawl into the bathroom across the hall because it's just not gonna happen. Now, that being said, I would love to take a video of me getting in and out of bed and post it on TikTok because I feel like it would go viral very quick because it'd be very funny. You know, some days it's funny, some days it's not, and some days it's frustrating. But anyway, at 50 years old, I never thought um, that I would be being betrayed by my body. We'll just put it that way. So also, I always thought that my 50th birthday party would be a surprise party. <laughs> I figured, I, and I know, you know, women, we think this way. I figured my husband would plan it all out. 
I would be celebrating with all my family and friends. I would walk into a room and be like, surprise. You know, we would have great food, great drinks, uh, just really a fun time. Now, that said, in my mind, in Dee's world, <laughs> as we sometimes call it around here, I would have Toby Keith performing at my 50th birthday. So, you know, it, it was there. But instead, last August was my 50th birthday. And I was home all summer, last summer, because of COVID. And, you know, who would ever think that the year that I turned 50, there's going to be an international pandemic and the world is going to be closed and you're not going to be able to do anything. I mean, really, who would think that? So again, just another part of my life that turned out differently than what I thought. I also thought that my husband and I would be living in a house somewhere in Iowa Instead, I live less than a mile from Lake Michigan in South Milwaukee, Wisconsin, home of the Crusher. If you remember, if you are at the age that you remember what used to be called WWF wrestling, now it's called WWE. Back in the day, there was a wrestler, his name was the Crusher, and he's from South Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, you know, everybody around here knows, doesn't know him because I think he's passed now, but, you know, they know of him and remember him <laughs> anyway so this was a part of my life that was a pleasant surprise as much as I love Iowa and I, and I do and trust me I miss it like you know this month I've really been missing it because it's you know time for the Iowa State Fair but then I looked online and I see where they moved the Iowa State Fair to September this year so anyway you know this time of the year I'm always missing Iowa um but as much as I love Iowa and I love my family and friends, I have learned over the past few years that moving to Wisconsin was not only the best thing for me, but it was the best thing for my boys. And they've told me multiple times, mom, I love that you moved us to Wisconsin. I love it up here. Um, apparently tradition in the Marines is on the guy's beds, uh, like on the wall, um, they will hang their state flag. And Wyatt called me and said, mom, buy me a Wisconsin flag. And I was like, Wyatt, you were born in Iowa. He goes, yeah, but I consider Wisconsin my home state. So I said, okay. So, you know, I sent him a Wisconsin flag and he loves it. And it, matter of fact, it's in Australia with him right now. But, you know, if we wouldn't have moved to Wisconsin, I, you know, I would have never met Eric and Paul, who are my other two air quote sons, um, who I love dearly. And there's just a lot of things in my life right now that would not have happened if we had not moved to Wisconsin. So there was never a time in my life, <sighs> there was never a time in my life that I thought that I wouldn't or wouldn't be able to work. I loved my career. I worked in the medical field as a, what's called an IRB coordinator. And I'm going to explain that to you. So in medicine, you have research trials, clinical research trials that go on for new drugs and new devices that are trying to receive approval from the FDA. These devices and drugs a lot of times they have to be in clinical trials anywhere from five to 15 to 20 years. I mean, they have to be in clinical trials for a long time. But every hospital, 
institution, clinic, university, or medical college, they all do this kind of research and they all have what's called an Institutional Review Board or an IRB. This board is responsible for overseeing all of the research that takes place in their particular institution. It is their responsibility to make sure that the physician and his team are meeting all the FDA, OHRP, and that stands for um, Office of Human Research Protection, and international laws and guidelines. I was the coordinator for this particular board. All of my work um, was administrative, but I will tell you that it was very complex and very complicated, and it changed. I went into this field in 2000. I had absolutely no experience or education, but I had this amazing boss. Thank you, Mark Polich. He took time to train me. He took time to teach me. And he sat down with me one day after, I would say probably after a year, it might've been my annual review actually, that my first annual review with him. He said to me, I see you going far in this field. As long as you dedicate yourself to continuous learning, continuous education, continuous, you know, testing for exam, you know, for certifications, you will go very far in this field. And I just kind of, I remember chuckling inside and going, okay, I'm just a little farm girl from Iowa, you know, who didn't even go to college. I don't see how I'm going to fit into this field, but I did. And before I knew it, well, no, let me back up. It was before then, before I was having hospitals, colleges, universities, call me and offer me jobs. Once we got moved up here to Wisconsin, I had been here for maybe three, four years. And it was at that time in my life, I could have called up anybody in the United States and said, hey, for an example, I'm wanting to move to Texas. Do you have a job as an IRB coordinator or something to do with medical clinical research in your institution? And nine out of 10 times, I would have been told yes. I was always having people call me, hey, we have a job opening in New Jersey, we have a job opening in Texas, we have a job opening in Florida. And, you know, because I was living here in Wisconsin, I was a single mom, my boys were in school, I could not entertain those job offers. But that's how well I was known. Now, I studied and tested for certifications every opportunity I got. I eventually developed a whole teaching program for obtaining the certifications in our field that are very field specific. And I spent years, years and years teaching people on Facebook, uh, you know, the different things about our examinations, the things to study. I, I asked them questions. Um, I would go to national conventions and uh, yeah, national, our national convention that we had every year for our field. I would go to it and I would have people from Israel, people from England, people from Canada would come up to me and they would be like, you have no idea. I even got people from the Middle East and I've got pictures and they would come up to me and they would be like, in our country, you are famous. And I would be like, what? <laughs> and they're like, no, you don't realize in our country, 
even though these are FDA regulations, the thing a, a device or a drug company is looking for is FDA approval. They are looking for approval in the States or in the UK. When you're in another country and you're doing clinical research for these devices and drugs, you don't always know the FDA regulations, but yet you're having people, doctors, and people in your field in your country saying, you need to get certified. Well, yeah, but when I get certified, it's going to be under the FDA regulations. So they don't really have any people people in these countries to teach them. So that was what I did on Facebook. I, for many years, I taught. Um, earlier in the show, when I was thanking my friend Heidi for her donation to my GoFundMe page, Heidi was one of the ones that I taught through my class on Facebook to get certified. And, and Heidi, that's how Heidi and I became very, very good friends. That was my career. I was very proud of my career and, and I had identity in my career. I was really at the top of my game and then it happened. My MS progressed. I was having such a difficult time remembering things. I, to this day, I still, I'm not, I, I don't remember things well. I make notes for everything, everything. I have a note app on my phone and I make notes for everything because I don't remember things well. You know, I was having a hard time staying awake at my desk. Um, my attendance, you know, probably wasn't where it should have been because I would get sick and I would have to work from home. And, you know, I just, I couldn't function. So finally I had to file for disability. That was my only option. I physically could not I physically cannot work. I get exhausted by mid-morning. Just getting up and getting showered and dressed takes all the energy I have to do that in the morning. And it takes me like an hour and a half uh, just to take a shower and get dressed and fix my hair, an hour and a half. But I, I, I had to file for disability. It took me a year, but I got it. And uh, so now that's where I'm at. I'm on disability. And it, and it breaks my heart because, well, let me back up on that. So one part of me is sad because I don't have a career anymore. And when you don't have a purpose to get up in the morning, it's very difficult to get that motivation. But the other part of me is very happy that I was not working in this field when COVID hit because as much as I'm sad because I miss the com 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 how do you say that? Camaraderie? Camaraderie. <laughs> That's a hard word. The camaraderie. And the exciting things that were happening technology-wise in medicine was just so amazing. And I was so excited to see where things were going to go. I, and I, and that part is sad, you know, sad that I'm not in the career anymore. But again, with COVID-19, I'm glad I'm not because the vaccines that they were trying to hurry up and get approved, they were put into emergency use authorization, everything that they were doing, vaccines are a totally different ball game than drugs or devices devices that are looking for FDA approval. Vaccines are another different guideline system. Um, you know, it's just, it's just different. And with a pandemic going on and trying to, it would have just been very difficult. It would have been very exhausting. And trust me, the people that are in this field, I have thought about you every day for the last two years and, and what you go through. And I'm sorry that, that you're going through this. Yeah. So that part of it, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not working, but you know, being on disability sex, especially when you're like me, because I never realized that I would miss working so much. I have told best, my best friend and I have told my neighbor, Mark, I miss work. 
and they both look at me and they go, you're insane. And I'm like, no, really, I, I do. I miss work. I've been working ever since I was a little girl growing up in Iowa in the country. I had animals to feed. I had sheep. I had chores to do around the house. When I got older, I would babysit. I've walked beans. I did chores around the house. You know, I, we had a, a pool in our backyard and it was my responsibility to clean the pool and test the chemicals and mow the lawn and take out the trash. And I mean, there was just, you know, I had my chores. When I became a teenager, um, I got a job at a local Hardee's in Indianola, Iowa, which I'm not sure if it's still a Hardee's. I don't think it is anymore. But here in Wisconsin, our Hardee's are called Carl's Jr. So I don't know who bought out who or what, what happened there. But that's who I used to work for in high school. I worked for them for five years. Once I graduated from high school, I got a full-time job and I moved out on my own when I was 17 years old. Since then, I have always had a full-time job. And at, there was one time in my life where I had a full-time job and I had two part-time jobs just so that I could make enough money to support my ex-husband and my two boys. My sons and my ex-husband always had a roof over their head. They always had food in their belly and they always had clothes on their back. And that was because of me. I mean, I'm just going to say it. It was because of me. I, I worked hard all my life. I made sure I always had a job where I had full health benefits in case my boys needed health insurance as they were growing up. And after working all those years, providing for everyone that I've ever had in my lifetime, again, waking up in the morning with nowhere to go or anything to do, it's devastating change. It's devastating. It really is. And I can understand how somebody who's worked all their life even longer than I have, and then they immediately retire. I can understand that's a hard change. I wasn't prepared for it at 50 years old. I'll just say that. So that's when I decided to create my podcast, um, just so that I could have some sort of outlet. I could have a purpose to get up every morning. This podcast may never go anywhere. Uh, this podcast may only have ever 50 listeners. Would I like for it to go somewhere? Of course. Everybody wants to be heard, but I, I'm a storyteller. I want to tell the stories that I think need to be told. So finally, my last part of my little breakdown, <laughs> let me explain. I come from a really large family. My grandpa had one brother and two sisters, okay? My grandpa alone had 10 kids. And then his brother had like, I want to say 9, 10, 11. I don't know how many specifically, but it's in that range. And then his two sisters... I think they probably had four or five kids between the two of them. So there was a lot of kids. And then all those kids got married and had kids of their own. So needless to say, my family's huge. And even when the boys were little, somebody would call me on my phone. And they would be like, Mom, it's a cousin. And it wouldn't be. It'd be like my aunt. And I'd be like, no, boys, that was Aunt Rhonda. And they would be like, oh, well, your, your family's so big. We just call everybody your cousin. <laughs> so again, I, you know, that's how big my family is. It's just, it's a really large family. And we would, every year, we would have these huge, geary family reunions in Harvey, Iowa, which I think Harvey 
the population is maybe 700 people, if that. It's a very small town in Iowa. But we would have our family reunions right there in Harvey at the community center. And we would fill up the whole community center. I grew up that way. Not only did I see my immediate cousins at least weekly, if not a couple times a week, my extended family, I saw at least once a year, if not more times. And so I figured I would always be around my family and friends, or I would always be able to get back to my family and friends. I can remember growing up, all my aunts and uncles, my dad's brothers and sisters, and including my dad also, they would take trips <laughs> to different states just to go see their cousins. We got to go see cousin so-and-so. I, I remember always hearing that, and I always kind of chuckled. And I thought, that at this time in my life, that is how I would be. I figured I would be traveling to see my cousins in Texas and Tennessee and Iowa. And I'm trying to think where they all live. They all live all over the United States. But I just, oh, Illinois. Illinois is another one. But yeah, I just figured that I would be around them and, and, and you know, doing things with them. Unfortunately, as things happen in a family, and they happen in every family, there's no family out there that this has never happened to, things are done, awful things are said, <laughs> or someone takes the last piece of chicken from the KFC bucket at the family reunion, and now nobody's talking to anybody. And in an era when it's so easy for us to communicate, I mean, you know, we send a simple text message, we make a phone call, we send an email, we video chat. It just seems that families are more distant in miles now and conversations. And I will say my family's no different. And it breaks my heart because I really, I, you know, I'll go into my family issues when I do my MS um, episode. But just know I was raised with a false sense of family means everything. That, that is what I was always taught. Family means everything. And, and my dad lived this by example. My dad was always there. <laughs> yeah, I struggle with saying this, but, you know, I'm going to be honest. My mom and dad were always there for my aunts and uncles and even my cousins. But they were not there for me. They were there for my sister, but they were not there for me and have not been there for me. When I say this, I'm not just talking about them. I'm talking about some members of my family, not all of them, but I always thought they would be a huge part of my life forever. And sadly, they've chosen not to be part of my life or even a part of my son's lives. And I have to say that probably hurts me more than the family members not being involved in my life. It hurts me more. They've cut my boys out of their lives. But you know what? It's okay. That's a choice that those people have made. And I will say to those people, you're really missing out in having me in your life because I'm a pretty great person and I'm funny. I am a happy person and, you know, you're missing out. That's all I'm going to say to that. So, so as I close the show today, <laughs> I want to leave you with a little gold nugget that I carried over from my previous podcast called Cheesy Joke of the Day. <laughs> if you did not listen to my former podcast, I am a self-proclaimed cheesy joke queen of Wisconsin because I figure, you know, Wisconsin's the cheese state. Everybody knows it. The best thing about cheese is cheesy jokes and I always have them. 
<laughs> and if, it's kind of a private joke in the family. But anyway, here is my cheesy joke of the day for you. Take it, use it, tell it, memorize it, write it down, post it on Facebook, send it through Twitter. I don't care whatever you want to do with it. <laughs> okay, here we go. What did the farmer say when he couldn't find his tractor? I can't find my tractor. <laughs> I love that joke. Oh my gosh. Okay, again, you can find us at okayhereisastory.com. You can get the latest podcast episodes there. You can read my blog. You can look for information regarding my upcoming book, I Got the Final Word. All of my social media links can be found on our website or in this show description. I would like to end the show today by thanking my son, Hunter, who is the executive producer and what I call the CTO. He tells me I made this up and that this doesn't exist, but I call him my chief technology officer because he does all the technology. Thank you, son, for your support in answering my stupid technical questions. Thank you to my son, Wyatt, for supporting me and being my sounding board and answering the phone at 7 o'clock at night when it's 3 o'clock in the morning here. And I also want to thank the Marines that serve with Wyatt. Thank you for having his back and making sure that he will return home safely. Everyone, I want you to have a great day. I'm sending you my love. Please take it and pay it forward to someone in your life today. Thanks. Bye.